This morning, would you please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. The first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, will begin in verse 18 and go to verse 25 this morning. We are in a Christmas series entitled Visitations, Silence is Broken, and we are exploring the different visitations found in the scriptural accounts surrounding the birth of Jesus. A few weeks ago, we began with the, with the visitation from the angel to the priest Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And then last week, we looked at the visitation of the angel to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And today, we're going to focus on just one point of a, a passage of Scripture that's got a lot to it, but we're just going to take a look at one point today. Um, of the Lord's uh, angel of the Lord's appearance to Joseph, and then we're going to close out our worship time with an open campaign update, and so it'll be exciting. Do you do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in visitations uh, by angels to people? Maybe, have you ever been visited um, by an angel? Let me ask you this. In your mind, think of a, of a neighbor or a coworker in your mind. Just a neighbor or a coworker in your mind. Someone you see, maybe even on a, on a daily basis. Think of that person in your mind. And what would your response be if that coworker that you have in your mind or that neighbor that you see next door, what would be your response or your reaction if they told you that they had a dream last night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and had a message for them? What would you think? Let's take a, let's take a poll. What would your reaction be? Would your reaction be, I believe, or would your reaction be, eh, I'm a little skeptical of that. Let's do this. So, would your reaction be, I believe? Raise your hand. Okay? All right? Pretty good? What, uh, I shouldn't do that, huh? I'll, I see hands. Okay. How about, what would, would your reaction be of your neighbor or coworker hearing a, seeing a, a dream, having a dream and having an angel of the Lord visit them? Would your reaction be, I'm a little skeptical? Raise your hand. Higher hands on that one, okay. It's, it's really kind of split, though, here amongst us. If you're on the unbelieving side, of the skeptical side, I think you can relate, I think you can relate to Joseph. Let's take a look at our text today in Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. 
The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I, I think for us to read familiar passages of Scripture like this and to think that in ancient days, miraculous angel of the Lord appearances were commonplace. I mean, we already heard a few weeks ago about this period of silence between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. This, this hundreds of years silence. And there are skeptics, after all. I mean, today, modern day, people are based in reality. And so when we read something like this, I think we read a description and we think, oh, of course it happened, I believe. But then I wonder, sometimes, as modern day people, it's not always commonplace to have a visitation from an angel of the Lord. And what we observe here is that Joseph is just an average person. He's a, he's a normal guy. And he makes plans not to expose Mary to public disgrace, but to divorce her quietly. And, and he's, he's thinking, he's got to be thinking when he hears this news from Mary, either that she's crazy or that she's cheated on him until he gets his visitation that changes his mind. And so today, we're going to take a look at this text, and, and like I said, it's, it's, it has a lot to it, but today, just for our time purposes in this sermon, we're going to look at one point, and we'll look at the significance of a name, the significance of a name. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give them the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. One of the significant outcomes of Joseph's visitation by an angel in the dream is the naming of Jesus. So let's ask some questions. What does the naming event of Jesus tell us? And how does any of this apply to us today, right now? And how does Jesus, knowing who he is, uh, applies to us knowing who we are? Can we take something from that, from the scriptures? You see, in the Bible, we learn of two aspects of naming. In the Bible, we learn of two aspects of naming. In the Bible, a person's name is, is not just a label. Children didn't just get their names because parents liked the sound of it. Have you ever asked your namer, whoever named you, your mom or your dad, have you ever asked them, why did you name me and then your name? And I, we just had some discussions this week in the office, and, and there were all, all kinds of reasons. Maybe it's a family name that you have. That's the reason why you have your name. Someone said, you know, I saw a name on a license plate, and I really liked that name. I liked the car, too, but I liked the name. And so, therefore, there, this name came out. And so there's all sorts of reasons why, why we got our name. And if you've never asked your parents or whoever named you why you got your name, you should really do that because it's really interesting to find out. Don't ask them now. No, yeah, I, I hear people doing it. Don't, 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 don't do that now. Um, from, from ancient days, we know that the depth of who you are 
is found in your name. In the Bible, the naming event has two aspects. The first aspect is this. It's about the source of the name. The source of the name. Who's naming you? And then write the word authority in your notes right next to that. The source of the name, it speaks to authority. The giver of your name from Bible times is extremely important because the one who names you in, from the ancient days is your authority or your superior. And the, the naming is the work of the one who has authority over you from the Bible. The second aspect of the naming event is this. It's about the content of the name. And write the word purpose in your notes right next to that. You have authority in the first one, the source, and in the content, write the word purpose right there. The content of your name from the Bible shows you your purpose. It tells you what you are to live for, what you're here to do. And if you know these two things, the content and the source, then you know who you are, and, and then you know who is your final authority, and then you know what is your priority. Your authority and your priority is what you know from the naming event in, in, the, in the Bible. So let's run these two principles that we just looked at right here through our text in our one example today, the name of Jesus. Now the source here, the reason God will not let Joseph and Mary name this child is because they are not allowed to think that they have authority over Jesus. You read about it in the Bible in 2 Kings chapter 23. When a king would be victorious over another king, the victorious king would rename the defeated king, saying, I have authority or I'm superior over you. In Genesis, from the very book of the beginnings in the Bible, the very first book in the Bible, God brought uh, uh, animals for Adam to name. Now, it wasn't that God was tired of naming things. He named the plants and all this. It wasn't that he couldn't think of any more names, but he brought these animals to Adam so that Adam can name them. Now, why? He says, Adam, name these animals and take charge over them and take responsibility over them too. And, and parents name their children and have authority and responsibility for, children, for the care of children. And what we have here is the scriptures telling us once again that Jesus is not just a human being. He's not only a human being, but he's God. Jesus' earthly parents didn't name him because they would not have authority over him. It's interesting to me when you think about when Jesus was born, he was the only human, when Jesus was born to Mary and to Joseph, he was the only human who was older than his parents. He was, he's the everlasting father. He's, 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 he's ancient of days. And so what we find here is the source that the reason why God did not let Mary and Joseph name Jesus is because they were not allowed to think that they would have regular parental authority over Jesus. Now let's take a look at this naming event that what we've already looked at about the content of Jesus' name. It says in the passage, give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now the name Jesus, Yahshua, is a Greekized or a Hellenized version of the name Joshua. 
Yah means the Lord. Shua means saved. The Lord saves. The name of Jesus gives him his work to do. It's very clear that the name Jesus means Savior. He, he comes to rescue us. We have a very clear understanding that this is the purpose of Jesus because of his name. Now, examples of this we find in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1. Jesus is beginning his ministry. The disciples come to him, and they, they, Jesus is praying in a solitary place by himself. The disciples come to him, and they say, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Everyone wants a piece of you. Everyone wants to see you, hear you, touch you, have you pray for them. Jesus, there's a crowd out here. And Jesus says, I must go to the villages, and I must tell everyone the good news. I must seek out those who are sick and those who are broken, those who are hurting, and heal them. And he says these words, for this is why I have come. Jesus absolutely knows what his purpose in life is about. If we were to sort of psychologically evaluate Jesus today, in, in today's terms or in today's psychological knowledge, we would say that Jesus has a strong sense of personal identity, is what we would say about Jesus. He knows what he's about. There are two aspects of this naming event that we can read about in the Bible. The first is the source of the name, which gives authority, and the content of the name, which gives purpose. Now, let's ask ourselves this. What does the Bible tell us about our name and our identity? What does the Bible tell us about our name and our identity? What, what really comes to light is the application of this passage for our, our own lives in the whole naming of how God sees us. I think today we ask ourselves a lot, who am I? Like, what's, what am I about? What, what is my identity? And we ask ourselves, who am I? But really, I think a better question is not who am I. I think a better question for all of us is whose am I? We all want identity, and we all want to know who we are. I was traveling a couple weeks ago, and I was in Minnesota, and I uh, was at a training um, event in Minnesota. And there were, uh, in, this, in this group, it was a small group of about, probably about 15 um, guys who were getting trained. And I knew two of them pretty good. I, I, I knew these guys, I met them before, and, I, and I, got, I got to know them a little bit. But out of the room, out of 15, I only knew two. And so the guy I'm sitting right next to, he's helping me with my computer and all that, and at the break, first break, he says, hey, well, tell me about yourself. And so we start to talk about ourselves, and I start to tell him all about who I am. And uh, he's interested, and I'm interested in him. He's from Connecticut. There's guys from Utah and Colorado and Florida and Pennsylvania, Minnesota, uh, North Dakota, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Texas, I mean, they're all over the country, and this guy's from Connecticut, and we're talking, he's got that wicked cool Connecticut uh, um, accent sort of a thing, that's what they say in Connecticut, uh, 
And so we're talking, and then, and then uh, he says, hey, well, I'd like to know more about our open campaign and, and what we're doing. And I said, yeah, just drop me an email. And I, I said, let me give you my business card. So I go in my backpack where my computer is, and I pull out a, my business cards, and I'm, I'm rifling through them just like this. And he sees that they're all different. He says, are those all yours? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, tell me about them. And so it just so happens, it's a weird thing. I have five different business cards. I got this one, the city of Torrance one, it says Parks and Recreation Commissioner. I just retired from this, from this group after serving 16 years, and I'm a, a commissioner emeritus, and so I didn't give him that one. Anyways, uh, there's another one from the city of Torrance, lead police chaplain, and I give this out when I go on police calls and things like that. Here's another one, it's a senior church consultant. I'm a part of a consulting group, and we do leadership development um, in the United States and North America, South America, Asia, and Africa, and Europe, and all these things. I mostly, um, uh, my specialty is church mergers, and so I help churches uh, uh, in, in church mergers. I wonder how, where I got that from. Anyways, and so I'm a part of this group. I don't do a lot. I do maybe one project a year. It's cool to be a part of all these guys. This one's my favorite card. If you want one of these, it's really thick, and it's got a great picture on it and everything. It's uh, I have to read what it is. It's uh, EFCA West Multiplying Network, and I'm a um, church multiplication coach is what, what, what I am right here. And then, but this is uh, the one I was going to give him. It's the Nova Community Church uh, business card senior pastor. And so I'm rifling through all these cards. He's going to have one of each. And I said, sure. And I, and I gave him one of each. And I started to think about it. This doesn't give me my identity at all. Because I'm much more than any of these. Way more than any of these. And, and I, I think it's a good time to ask who you are. How do you see yourself? How would you introduce yourself? How would you explain yourselves? Number one is this. The source of all of this is who gives you your identity? That's a good question. Who gives you your identity? A hundred years ago in, in, in the Western world, your family gave you your identity. You, your family would give you your social economic level. They would give you the, your, your social class level, perhaps. They'd give you, they'd even kind of direct what schools you would go to. It would, they would give you your work to do, or maybe your hometown, where you would live, and it would be your identity. Your family would do that. And for many, as as time progressed, this became kind of oppressive, like my family is telling me and kind of making me fit into a certain mold, and it was oppressive to some people. But this is, I need to tell you, this is not how the Bible tells us where we get our identity, not by your family. So don't let culture shape your identity. But today, how do we get our identity? Culture tells us, culture, the world will tell us, you've got to find your identity, you got to find yourself. you got to make a name for yourself. And one of the great ways that people do it all the time, and if you meet someone new, one of the first questions you ask them is, what do you do for work? And that somehow identifies who you are. But Henry Ford said this. He said, work doesn't give you a living. He says, work gives you a life. Seriously, Henry? That can't be right. 
Henry Ford would say, I will find myself through my work. But there's a problem because if you're successful at work and that gives you your identity, you may find yourself through work, but you may lose your family. You may lose your health. In fact, if you retire and all you identify is with work, then will you really have a life after that because you're not working anymore? if, If work identifies who you are, then your work rules you because that's your source, right? And it has authority over you. And I don't think anyone wants that in their life. Or or maybe you go the other direction from work and you say, my relationships will identify who I am. And my relationships will rule me. They'll have authority over me. And and being a great father or mother or friend or however way you want to identify your relationships and have those things rule over, what happens if you lose your family or, or a child goes wayward or you lose a friendship or something like that? Then you're going to fall apart. How do you identify yourself? Another way is, uh, it's been popular through the ages, another way is to embrace the desire. This is how you find your identity. Embrace the desire to look deep inside yourself to find your identity. Just to look deep inside to find your identity. So I find myself by looking into my inner self. What I'm doing is I'm rejecting work or corporate America or the rat race. I'm rejecting that. And you're saying to yourself, I want to do what I want to do to find my identity. I want to be independent. I'm going to make my own schedule. I'm going to freelance. And then I'm going to inform everybody that I'm living my best life now through social media. <laughs> Yale Sheehy says this. I know she's an author, an American author. She says, the real problem is that when you drop out of the rat race to find yourself, you find out you need money in order to do that. And uh, <laughs> that is true. So, so really, how do you find your identity? There's a deeper problem in this whole effort to name yourself. You know, in Luke chapter 16, I find it interesting. There's a parable of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus tells. And it's interesting to me that the rich man doesn't have a name. Lazarus, that's his name. The rich man doesn't have a name. He's known as the rich man. And it's it's because he chose to define himself by his riches. If you live for riches, in the end, you'll lose your riches. And you're going to lose yourself. And what? You're never going to have a name. You'll just be known as maybe the former rich man. In the account of, in the Old Testament, the Tower of Babel, a group of people got together. We we read in Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, this group of people said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. I think it's interesting, and cities will do that. World-class cities will do that. But these people got together and said, let's build the tallest building in the world, and that will give us a name. And the account in Genesis chapter 11 goes on to say that they are scattered. They are scattered all over because they sought to make a name for themselves. In our text today, we see that whoever names you is your authority. Whoever names you is the one to whom you belong. And if you want to know who you are, if you're searching for your identity, you have to ask yourself, not who am I, you have to ask yourself, whose am I?
You either belong to God or you belong to whoever you have given yourself to. The second aspect of this, this naming for us personally is this, is the content, the content of who you are. And, and I guess the question would be this, is what are you living for in your life? Your priorities and your commitments are what gives you your identity. If, if God is who names you, if God is the one to whom you belong, you say, God, I belong to you. If God is the one to whom you live for, if God is the one who gives you your gifts and your talents and your resource to, resources to serve him, then you will know who you are because God has provided these things for you. It, it was interesting that uh, many years ago, my tax preparer, we're in that season now, my tax preparer was done with my taxes and you know, presented them to me. Here, here's the, everything filled out. And then he says, you know, I have a suggestion. He says, I have a suggestion. He says, I see that you're giving 10% of your income for charitable donations to the church. I have a suggestion. He said, it would make a big difference in your life if you gave only 6% and saved 4%. And, and you know, for me, I, 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 it wasn't even a, let me think about that. Let me calculate that out a little bit. It was, it was, that's just not who I am. It's not, it's not what I'm living for. It's, so it's, it's not part, it, it was easy, easy decision. I didn't even have to make calculations. And from the scriptures, it's clear to me that we're to glorify God and to make disciples in all of our life. That's our, that's our identity. I, I'm, I'm working, I'm serving with all of my resources, all of my time, all of my talent, all of my treasure to line up with this. I'm going to align my life towards this. This is what I'm living for. This is my service. This is my purpose. This is what I want to do. And, and at times I get out of line. I, I'm not perfect in that. I, I, but I know that that's, that's it. But I get out of line. I have a group of very close brothers in my life that will tell me and ask me hard questions, examine my life, and tell me, you're out of alignment. Get back in line again. And you know what? We all have a family name. If you're a believer, you're, you're in the family of God. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We have a, a family name. When you trust Jesus as your Savior, he and he alone has satisfied all the requirements so that I'm acceptable before a holy God. And when you trust Jesus, you're adopted into that family. You get, you get the family name. Therefore, you're part of God's family. And then you discover and you grow in your spiritual gifts and you discover how God wants you to serve and you discover the kind of ministry he wants you to serve in. And this is the adventure. This is it of submission and obedience to God, of being kind to one another. This is the adventure of reaching out and serving and of building one another up, of praying for one another. This is the adventure of sacrifice and being a part of a church family and moving from being a consumer where it's all about me and all that what I want into a contributor. I'm a part of the body of Christ and all that the body does, I want to be a part of and I want to be a contributor to that. The sermon in a sentence today is just one sentence. 
One point today. The sermon in a sentence is, find out whose you are. Find out whose you are, and then you will discover who you are. 